0: Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We're currently in chapter 3 at verse 1. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 3 in the book of Revelation, where it says this, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. So remember, What you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we find at the beginning of the third chapter of the book of Revelation that uh, this is basically a continuation of the same context of these seven letters to these seven churches. And as we've said before, these seven churches except for Ephesus perhaps are not necessarily prominent and were not even at the time. And so Jesus seems to have chosen these particular churches uh, and uh, put these letters in this order in such a fashion For a reason, perhaps, and um, we're not quite sure of the reason. But I suggested you that uh, to you that uh, the the reason uh, seems to to play out in the uh, the history of the church, and uh, not in the sense of trying to name dates or set uh, specific things, but in terms of general trends that were introduced as the history of the church played out, and those. uh, Those things, those trends, continued on throughout uh, church history, and many of those trends are still being carried out today. In other words, uh, except perhaps for uh, the uh, church at Ephesus being an uh, being of the what uh, you would consider to be the first generation church uh, that were established by the apostles and their designees. Uh, and except for that uh, aspect, uh, many of the uh, the trends and the and, and the descriptions that we have of these seven churches are still being played out in in many churches and in in uh, the trends of the churches that have have uh, caught on and uh, that's what we find ourselves here in this um basically the uh uh, the church at Sardis. That means it is the uh, uh, the fourth, I mean, the fifth church uh, that is written to here. And so uh, chapter three is a division, you might say, but it, 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 it rather uh, fits in with chapter two, and they both uh, align together because of the subject matter and because of, of the fact that these seven letters are not yet complete. So that... Um, this is, of course, uh, the same kind of heading uh, about this angel of the church at Sardis. Every church has uh, this angel, and we propose to you that uh, it, it may refer to the the, uh, the supernatural beings that have been given supernatural rule or authority or or a certain kind of responsibilities for each congregation, and that may very well be true. I believe that uh, that each one of these angels are not angels in that sense, but they are messengers. That's what the original Greek word meant was messenger. And, um, That these are the messengers that bring these epistles to these seven churches, and may be responsible for reading these epistles to these seven different churches, and uh, they they uh, comprise basically this committee of seven, and um, they become the readers that uh, that were blessed at the beginning of the book, and uh, in a formal sense, not just an informal promise, but a formal promise to those who do that responsibility of reading. After all, we got to keep in mind that, that, uh, these letters, uh, this was perhaps the only copy they had, uh, even though, uh, uh, that uh, they were read among these churches. Uh, there there may not have been copies made yet uh, in which uh, individual people in the congregation had the freedom or the privilege, that is, of reading their own copy of God's word. So you had to depend upon the reader to do a good job at representing the text. So I believe that's what's going on here. And that's the reason why Jesus describes himself even in um in chapter 3 verse 1 the way he's always described himself uniquely to each uh, unique church each congregation um is is to be reminded of um, the character of Christ, at least in certain aspects, as to be strengthened in, or to give authority to the content of the uh, the epistle to that church. So these are the aspects of Jesus that are described here. He has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, and uh, that's what uh, uh, those things represent. Is um, is the um, not necessarily that the Holy Spirit is divided up into seven spirits but the Holy Spirit has inspired and and uh, and written down through the dictation of Jesus himself by the way and, and that these epistles then being carried to these seven churches are the seven elements of the Spirit's work in each one of those churches and then to the church at large and so, I believe that's what's at stake here. It's not that uh, there are distinct uh, personages of the Spirit. There's only one person of the Spirit of God, and uh, he's the Holy Spirit. But His he has presented himself and inspired seven different messages, and each one of them represents the Spirit in uh, this uh, series of uh, seven letters. And Jesus says this then, I know your deeds, that you have a name that, you are alive, but you are dead. Now, the positive thing, of course, is that they do have a reputation. That reputation, evidently, uh, by the way, that that is a good synonym for, uh, for name. Uh, their name uh, as a church, not the name of the city of Sardis, but their name as a church is that they are alive. And I, I uh, uh, hesitate to say that it is true that many churches have have the reputation, have the name of being living churches, and yet uh, spiritually speaking, as far as the Lord is concerned, as far uh, as as his judgment, as far as his discernment is concerned, they may look alive as far as fellow human beings on the earth is concerned, but as far as Jesus is concerned, they are spiritually dead. And uh, that's a sad state of affairs, and yet it is true of uh, of, uh, uh the 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 Orthodox Protestant churches uh, that uh, uh, arose uh, after 1517, the original Protestant movement or the Reformers' movement, uh, either one uh, led greatly to a lot of uh, things that we can we can uh, celebrate today. And yet, uh, it didn't last long. That those very churches that were committed to the doctrines that were uh, vital to uh, the Reformation and to the Protestant churches, that uh, those same churches, those same movements that arose out of that uh, eventually became dead churches. And that's, I believe, represented by this this particular church at Sardis. You have the reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. This is Jesus' judgment. This is not my words. And what's interesting is this is still in the city of Sardis, which, by the way, was uh, uh, at one time the capital of the kingdom of Lydia until 549 BC. It's about 30 miles south of Thyatira, and um, it was built on an acropolis of about 1,500 feet uh, over the valley, and um, there is a modern village or a modern city in Turkey by the name of Sert, uh, S-E-R-T is the the way it's spelled, at least uh, in some places. And it seems to be that uh, it is a declension of, or a a, 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 maybe even a pronunciation of the original Sardis uh, in a different language. But it says then says that you are dead and you need to wake up what's interesting is uh that uh, that Im- that city was an imperial city that was waived of its taxes and because of that then that city uh became a great fan of uh of uh the emperor and uh, so the imp- imperial's cult was strong in that city, and uh it was the home of uh, king uh king croesus which uh, is more famously known as king midas of the greeks and uh we know as as uh, as midas who touches anything that uh, turns to gold and uh and yet uh, it was also the home of aesop of uh, uh, the fame of aesop fatal fables um and it was the home to the temple of the mother goddess Cybele, and um, uh, he was, she was also known as Artemis in Ephesus. So this was a thriving city, and it, it had its uh, popularity at times, it had its economic uh, 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 successes, and as well as its religious successes. So this particular church was in this kind of environment that. Uh, Um, uh, uh, and presented itself in in so many challenges as it does perhaps even today in uh, the churches of many different cultures offers this this kind of challenge. And so he says, you are dead even though you have a reputation of being alive. And so he says, so wake up, he says in verse two. Uh, That is uh, what he uh, wants them to know. He says, I know your deeds, And he says, you are to wake up. In other words, that reputation seems to have been built on something, uh, and that, uh, it was based on something that happened and something that was a part of the church at one time. And so now that, uh, that is completely faded away. And so this thriving church or this active church, uh, from all appearances at least looked like it was still alive, but, uh, spiritually speaking, it was dead. So Jesus gives the instructions to wake up. It's time to wake up. You see, this is why this is important in this uh, this particular church. There's a certain irony there because this uh, city was built on such a place and had such a fortress around it, such a wall around it, that... Uh, It was considered to be impenetrable. And yet, um, in 549 BC, the Persians, uh, under the leadership of Cyrus, completely demolished the city and uh, took it over. The Greeks, in 218 BC, under Antiochus the Great, uh, again, attacked the city and was victorious. The whole reason was because the guard was let down, and uh, there was no guard to to give any announcement that uh, it was being taken over and so now Jesus is calling upon the people of this church to wake up because you're letting your guard down we'll be back right after this musical interlude Jesus comes to this church and tells them to wake up. Uh, because they need revival. Maybe many churches need revival because, uh, spiritually speaking, they're dead. There may be a lot of activities and a lot of programs, a lot of uh, uh, life, you might say, that looks like they're alive because there's lots of people going in and out, and uh, um, the attendance is thriving, and uh, uh, the programs are working, uh, perhaps. But spiritually speaking, there still may be uh, death that that is, is uh no one has trusted Jesus to be their savior they're not born again they are secular people doing church work and um, and, and so that's the reason why Jesus says wake up and strengthen the things that remain uh, which were about to die so uh, Jesus does still seemingly uh, here express words of some hope that there is a remnant there. There is a a group. There is something there uh, that needs to be uh, uh, fanned, <laughs> fanned to flame or uh, uh, keep blowing on those embers somewhere that uh, those embers would cause uh, a flame to fire up uh, again. And that's, I believe, what he's talking about here. Strengthen the things that remain. There are some things about the church that should be fostered and should grow and should bring about uh, the right and desired uh, outcome, and he says, "For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God, uh, Jesus basically said uh, to them uh, you've somewhere you've uh, dropped the ball, you look like you 're alive, you sound like you 're alive, other people would say you 're alive you 're actually spiritually dead but uh, but it 's not over yet you can Uh, see the Spirit of God and the Word of God take a hold of your life and change this life and cause revival even in this church to come back to life. So, uh, so he's basically saying, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. There is still something to be done, and it's, it can only be done. It can only be accomplished if you fan the flames of where the true life is, those who are truly born again, those who are truly following the Lord Jesus, those who are truly allowing the word of God and the spirit of God to fill them up. He says, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God, so remember, uh, what you have received and heard, and keep it. So there's something vital that they themselves know about, that they possess because of their trust in Christ. There is a reality there, at least in a few people, that uh, should be fostered and flamed. It's like a campfire just about to go out, and you uh, run over to it, and and um, you might, uh, if you if you blow on the ash, you'll kick the ash away. And and, uh, and there'll be something underneath that will be still embers. They will still be there. Perhaps it's in a campfire or a, a- uh, a fireplace in a home, and and if you blow on that, if you give that enough oxygen, then uh, then that those glowing embers will start to flame up, and, uh, and that's Jesus's hope for this church is that those glowing embers, if you fan the flame strong enough, long enough, uh, and complete this task, you'll find true life once again. So remember uh, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent there is a repentance to to be had here that means a turning about that means a turning about in your mind and in your heart uh, back toward the Lord back toward the things that that made this life to begin with uh, that made this reputation to begin with uh, 1 thessalonians chapter two verse thirteen it says for this reason we Uh, also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So there is a renewal that needs to be had, but that renewal can only be had and experienced if there is this repentance, this change of mind. Repentance might be an emotional thing, but it doesn't necessarily... Necessarily have, have uh, emotion tied to it. It just means that there is a decisive moment that you say, uh, I am tired of this direction. I'm going to go in a new direction. And this new direction is both with the mental attitude of renewal as well as a behavioral attitude of changing your conduct. And that's what uh, Jesus calls this church to do. Therefore, if you do not wake up, in other words, if, if they don't respond to Jesus's letter that he has sent specifically to them, then it says, uh, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So Jesus is predicting not only his second coming, but he's, he's predicting that he will come to this church to discipline this church. I'm not quite sure what that uh, will look like. Uh, we had that uh, uh, earlier in the church at Thyatira and in fact he uh, in other in other letters Jesus says i'm going to come to you and uh, that means to that particular church and uh, it says in in the church at Ephesus in chapter 2 verse 5 he says I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent that's what he said to this this otherwise loyal church to the doctrines of uh, of uh, the New Testament or the doctrines of the apostles and yet at the same time they needed repentance because they'd lost their first love and Jesus says I'm going to I'm going to come and remove your lampstand unless you recover this. And um, uh, that's an interesting uh, application that uh, that their testimony is going to be gone. Uh, And that's Jesus' prediction to that particular church in uh, the church at Pergamum. He says, I am coming to you quickly and will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, Jesus says, I'm going to to let the word of God from my mouth uh, be, be prevalent among these people and they will not be able to stay the same uh, and in Thyatira he said uh, he said i'm going to to uh, throw this uh, this evil wicked woman Jezebel he calls her uh, on a bed of sickness and uh, she will have great tribulation and uh, It says also, I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. So Jesus promises to these individual churches at this point that he will come to them if they don't repent, and he will will, uh, conduct personal discipline on those groups of people. And each one uh, has a different discipline, and each one will, of course, uh, experience something different. But here, it is, I will come like a thief, and you will not know. At what hour I come to you, that's exactly uh, uh, apropos to a, to uh, the people of Sardis, because that was the surprise attacks that was there. That uh, in both of them were were their downfall at various parts of their history is because they thought they were impervious and they were not. Uh, they let their guard down and they were attacked, and their enemies were victorious. Uh, at least twice that happened to the city, and so. Jesus is saying, Don't let me uh, come to you like a thief. You need to repent now. And he says, uh, but you have, and look at what he says, this, this is still a message of hope, you might say, a message of positive uh, result. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. That's where the life is, is those people who have who have uh, still a spiritual life within them. They have responded to the word of God and the spirit of God, and they are living by the spirit of God, and there is true life there. They are truly born again. And Jesus says, uh, uh, they may be few, but they are, they continue to be faithful. And, um, so the church itself may be dead, but there are these individual people in the city who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Now he's, he's talking about, uh, the fact that their worthiness actually comes from being um, uh, cleansed by the blood of Christ—that's exactly how they achieve these white garments. Um, uh, what's interesting is later on in verse five it says, "Who who over overcomes uh, will uh, be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name, and I will confess his name before the Father." That's what keeps them worthy. It says in uh, chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, it says, uh, uh, come to the uh, uh, marriage supper of the Lamb uh, has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the uh, saints. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, uh, twenty. Uh, 6 and 27, so that he might sanctify her. This is Jesus and his relationship to the church at large. He says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That is Jesus's work on individual believers and on the congregations to, to cleanse them, to make them worthy. This is Jesus's work. This is not us trying to find some special thing to do to make ourselves worthy. This is allowing him to do his work in us so that we become worthy because of his work in us and through us. And because of that, we are uh, capable of wearing these white garments. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. That's the eventual outcome even at the end of the book of Revelation. And uh, uh, later on, in uh, chapter 7 verses verses uh, uh, let's see here verse 13 it says the one of the elders uh, was saying to me these are the one are who these who are clothed in white robes who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord knows. Uh, And he says to me, uh, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And uh, we kind of look at that and go, how can the blood uh, cause the white robes to be white? And uh, yet that is exactly the metaphor that's being used here. You see, our white robes comes from the fact that They've been washed in the blood, that particular blood, the blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Son of God, the Son of Man who came to this earth to die for our sins. That blood, it may be red in its color, but it has a cleansing quality to our sin and it causes our sin to be washed away and so that we can wear robes of white because of this particular blood. It doesn't leave a stain of its own. It leaves a cleansing of its own that um, makes it uh, uh, no longer a dirty garment. He says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. That is a promise to you who are truly born again. Your names will not be erased from the Lamb's book of life. Uh, that comes up later in uh, in chapter 13 in verse 8 it says uh, the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain and then later in chapter 21 verse 27 and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it he's talking about the new Jerusalem but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life is your name written in his book of life you can have your name written there if you trust that his blood cleansed you from your sins and made you white as snow, not because of any effort on your own, not of any religion of your own, but because of Jesus all alone on the cross was your substitute and paid for all of our transgressions and all of our sins. And he can put our name into his book and he promises not to ever erase it. In fact, he goes on to say, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. In other words, Jesus is going to make an announcement one day and he's going to name you who are born again and he will name you publicly and call your name and says, yes, his name, her name is written in my book because they've trusted in my work on their behalf and my blood to cleanse them. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's an individual appeal as well as a group appeal to the entire group of churches. And yet uh, we respond individually and we respond to him making his offer and his appeal and his invitation to us, to you. Thank you, Father, for these words. These words of promise, in the midst of death, in the midst of disobedience, in the midst of lifelessness, you can bring life once again. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.